0: This morning we continue the two-part series in which I started last week on looking at the effects on our identity when we plant it in Jesus. This is a funny word. It's called petrichor. Has anyone heard of this word before? It's a word that describes one of my favorite smells. There are pleasing aromas and there are not so pleasing aromas. Would we agree? I love the smell of a refreshing and surprising Spring rain when it hits the sun-warmed concrete. I have an archive, it seems, of countless memories that's involved that smell, and that smell when it comes again in the spring seems to bring them back like a flood. Included in that archive of memories is one of my favorites. I was probably about eight, and uh, I remember this happening quite a few times. Where after church, my parents would want to stop and visit. A family friend named Harriet. We, in fact, we called her Aunt Harriet. We wasn't later, we were later in life till we realized that Aunt Harriet wasn't really our aunt. And so, you know, it was one of those things where the parents went inside and the kids ran around the farm outside and uh, just tried to stay out of trouble as best as possible. We would get wiffle ball tournaments going and we would uh, play hide and seek and we would just do these explorations uh, down the streets as far as we could get away with and sometimes I just remember this pleasant smell hitting the air. I just remember these surprise storms coming and we'd stay out uh, while why it was just sprinkling and we continue to play but eventually the rain would come with such fervor that we had to retreat under the barn and uh, or under the shed barn thing and or under the house and we would just gather there and wait it out in fact it was there that i learned the lyrics through aunt harriet of uh it's raining it's pouring the old man is snoring speaking of old people today right in fact i first fell in love with the pleasing aroma of rain on the her warm concrete sidewalks in those summers it's an aroma that you do not easily forget. And even as I talk about it, you may be able to picture it. Interesting enough, that smell or aroma has an official name, and that is that. It's called petrichor, and it's a natural and earthly scent that is produced when rain falls on dry soil or concrete. It's an easily definable, pleasing, and uniquely unforgettable scent. I never knew that had a word. So now, when people ask me what my favorite smell is, I actually have an answer. Right, petrichor. That smell on the rain—the smell of rain on a concrete—is still one of my favorite to this day. And in fact, it joins um, many memories of pleasing aromas from my childhood. I remember waking up to the smell of my mom's homemade bread rising in the sunshine of my bedroom window. The smell of ink as my grandfather, my dad's dad, poured ink onto his printing presses in his business. And the warm ink would roll on the rollers. And it seemed that whenever he'd cut himself on them, he smelled like ink too. I remember the snowball hydrangeas that sat outside of the porch on my grandpa's farmhouse. And these are smells that seem to bring back memories when I still encounter them. Smells have a unique ability to bring us down memory lane. Many researchers, like Professor Maria Larson, a psychologist from Stockholm University in Sweden, has been investigating this connection between smells and memories. And interesting enough that research has shown more times than not, they are smells that will remind you of your grandparents more than your own parents. And that's, that's an interesting find they found. And researchers continue to find connections and proof that smell is a powerful sense that often evokes long-forgotten memories in our minds. We might say a pleasing, a pleasing aroma. I don't think I am working, Oshes, uh, Sorry. Um, a pleasing aroma is memorable. This week, we'll be looking at Paul's words. A word to the church in Corinth who compares life in Christ to a few memorable aromas in which the church in Corinth would have known well. And even as Paul's talking about them, they would have been able to picture their, their experiences that were associated with those smells. Smells. Through that, Paul teaches us that our lives can become a pleasing aroma of Christ when we allow him and him only to shape our identity in Christ. However, not all smells and aromas are so pleasing. I'm not going to list a whole bunch of smells in which I would say would make the unpleasing list. And I'm pretty sure we can all assume and agree which smells might get on such a list. you're an owner of a dog, you'll know that seemingly sometimes dogs can smell somebody they like and somebody they don't like. This is my dog, Xander. There's hardly anyone he doesn't like. In fact, he likes people so much, he's a bit overwhelming when he meets them. It's been long suspected that dogs must have a unique way of discerning between types of people. The idea that a dog is a great judge of human character is a popular one among dog lovers, but is it really true? In fact, there are millions of dollars going into research into this. If you wonder where money goes, well, it goes into things researching this. While we do know that dogs can smell bombs, cancer, certain diseases, and drugs, science is seemingly, if they're spending millions of dollars, still undecided if they can smell good character. Yet science has begun to explore the relation between our identity and the way we smell. Science is beginning to find connections between our identity and the way we smell. Scientists have explored the connection to aromas related to disease. There are certain diseases that give off a faint smell. In fact, an anthropologist named Edward T. Hall in the 60s, did some research in The Hidden Dimension, a book that I've read many times, between the connection of mental diseases and certain smells that they give off. Some believe that even high blood pressure comes with an odor. There are scientists studying this right now that they are trying to train dogs and other things to be able to detect high blood pressure because something in it gives off a smell. That's what I smell this morning, because I'm sure there's a lot of high blood pressure in here. In fact, Edward T. Hall tells this story of a Middle Eastern family, and the, and the son brings home this girl that he's been courting for his parents to meet, and in the midst of it, he said, Mom and Dad, I think this is the one, we're going to get married. And the mom and dad say, No, we just don't like the way she smells. Other cultures have a much higher dependency on this sense than we do in fact in that culture high anxiety smells like sweat nervousness smells like fear these are things that are part of our identity our character that other cultures and seemingly dogs have the ability to pick up on our lives might smell like what defines us more than we realize Our eating habits are also detectable sometimes as well. Last week we looked at how our lives are a letter of recommendation that speaks to those around us and what shapes our hearts and our identities. And this week Paul teaches us that our lives also give off an aroma based on what shapes the heart of our identity. How do you guys smell this morning? This week, we are going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. It is going to be on the screen in front of you. You can also find it in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. It'll be on page 11. I don't know if that's right. 1140. In this passage, Paul is writing to his disciples and church plants in Corinth about an aha moment that he is experiencing as he travels to teach and plant other churches. Paul has come to Traos in this town. And he's experienced huge ministry breakthroughs. Everywhere he goes, it seems people are leaning in and wanting to know more about Jesus. He's experiencing this just great fervor of people that want to know the gospel message. Yet in the midst of this huge joy that he's feeling, Paul also grows with this sense of loss and anxiousness when he doesn't find his friend Titus. And see, Paul had sent Titus ahead of him because... Paul has a way of shooting straight. Paul has a way of just kind of saying to the church in Corinth what he is really thinking. And he knows that sometimes that does not go over so well. And there's these other people that are also in the midst of Paul's ministry trying to undermine Paul and kind of say, he's not who you think he is. And so Paul says, you know what, before I land in Corinth, after that last letter I sent I better send somebody to kind of dip their toes in the water and see what the climate of the church is like. And so he sends Titus. He sends Titus to go check out the church in Corinth. And when he gets there, he's happy that ministry is abounding, but he can't find Titus. So he's walking in blind. Robert Hughes in the Everyman's Bible Commentary of 2 Corinthians says this about this passage. He, Paul, used his journeys with all their hopes, fears, and failures to correct a lingering problem in Corinth. Paul realized that they were smelling, as we say, to high heaven, or at least to wherever he was. The Interpreter's Bible goes on to set the context within regards to this passage like this. These passages make it clear that God, it is God who opens the doors by providing a favorable situation and opening men's hearts and minds to listen, It is that favorable moment or situation or that aha moment that Paul starts writing about to the church in Corinth and, and addressing Aroma. I love how N.T. Wright also describes this passage. He says, Paul pauses to write one of the greatest extended discussions this time on what precisely it means to be an apostle, a servant, or a minister of God's new covenant. Keep this in mind as we read this passage. This is my favorite quote this morning, the one from N.T. Wright. Keep this in mind. We might say it is a passage that tells us how we should smell. If we are allowing God to shape our identity as apostles, as servants, and as ministers of God's gospel or his new covenant, this passage will speak to us and tell us how we should come across. I will now read the passage. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, this is Paul, and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind. Everything's going good, but I'm still uneasy Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them, and I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses it to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other the aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So Paul is entering this situation blind. He doesn't know where Titus is. He doesn't know what he's going to find with the churches in Corinth. And in the midst of that, he realizes there's these people working against him that are working for profit. And he's saying, guys, guys, I've had this great God moment, this sense of aha moment in the midst of looking for Titus and coming to see you, that apparently how we smell really affects how God's favor opens doors for us. And by the way, you will not smell that same thing on those who are giving you their services for money. This is Notes on Becoming a Pleasing Aroma. This is a great passage with a lot of challenges and wisdom presented deep in it. This week, we'll take a few notes away from this passage on how our lives can become a pleasing aroma of Christ when we develop an intentional identity that is invested in and shaped by the Spirit of God, and by moving what we said last week, Jesus, from the margins into the center. We might also just say, these are notes on how to smell good. At first glance, this passage is pretty cut and dry. Yeah, well, to some people, we're life, and to some people, we are death. But what Paul is actually pushing out here is something completely different. In fact, in this passage, Paul uses a few metaphors that make an important point on identity. Paul, as N.T. Wright likes to say, is often happy to mix ideas together. He's really using about four different analogies here of smell, if you would look at the original text and the idea, that is invoking memories and experiences in his readers. While we look at it as some people smell like life, some people smell like death— What Paul is actually doing is sharing examples, and you'll notice that with the language here in a minute, that says, hey, do you remember this experience? Do you remember this experience? And it brings a multiple-layered gospel to the surface. If you have your bulletins, there are places to fill in notes. And I encourage you to do that and just look over them this week. As we look at this passage, Paul is actually talking about several different aromas that they would have experienced since childhood in their culture. And it would have deeply invoked memories in them as they heard this letter read. In this passage, Paul uses a few metaphors to make an important point on identity. Some of those various images and experiences we reflect on for our second point. Paul's readers may have recalled the aroma of incense used in both pagan and Jewish, Jewish sacrifices to give a sweet smell to the act. The church in Corinth, who's there? We have people that would have been raised in a Jewish culture. We also have people that would have been raised in both a Gentile and pagan culture, kind of the outsiders. And so there are people from both worlds present as this letter is being read. Ironically, he doesn't say, hey guys, remember those smells that were used in Jewish temples? Paul writes it in such an ambiguous way that both people, the insider and the outsider, would have understood what Paul was talking about. There was incense that was used by both Jewish temples and Jewish sacrifices, as well as pagan sacrifices and pagan temples, and they would burn this incense as a form of, of worship semi but if you've ever been involved in a sacrifice and i have not and i hope you have not either but if you have ever been involved i imagine the smell is not so pleasant right and so the the people involved in these large-scale sacrificial practices would burn incense and they would do that to kind of take the edge off they would kind of help it smell better kind of like sticking a candle next to the cat litter box before your family comes over takes the edge off however more importantly it's also smell that was to join together with the smell of the sacrifice and it was to rise up to the heavens or to wherever uh, people believed that god was and it was to please god in a sense of worship it was also an expressive form of worship that looked to appease god It was an expressive form of worship. It was an artsy thing. This was one of those smells that you apparently don't forget. The smell of incense and sacrifice together. Paul's reference to this would have encountered them in their minds as he said, We are the smell of death. That imagery there would have automatically helped them recall this idea of sacrifice, and most certainly would have invoked this remembrance of the aroma of incense and sacrifice together. His readers would have also remembered the fragrances used to remind worshippers of the presence of the divine. As Paul reminded his readers about how he was realizing that some people see us as the aroma of life, Paul's readers would have known that language would have most likely helped them remember the sense of incense that was used not in sacrifices, but in worship in both Jewish and pagan temples. You see, again, there would have been this idea that we need to burn this incense, not for the sake of taking the edge off or joining together and rising to the heavens, but to remind us, the worshipers, that the presence of God was nearby. And so in these temples, they would, they would burn incense and aromas and fragrances to remind people that the presence of God was all around them. If you've ever been here during a meeting in which Bob had led or prayed with, Bob would often write a uh, light a candle in the center of a table or a room. And he would do this for the very same reason, to remind ourselves that the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, is truly here in our midst. And so incense and aromas were used the same way. It was common in these contexts for incense to be burned or an aroma to be sprayed throughout the air to remind people of the presence of God and how it was all around them. And it would hopefully heighten their senses and their awareness to it. This is a tradition, as I said in Sunday school, that is still practiced by many Orthodox churches. And you can go on YouTube and you can Google Incense Orthodox, uh, Orthodox and you will see these large uh, kind of ball-shaped incense burning things that are swung, and especially in like Russian Orthodox churches, and, th- and there's smoke that comes out of it or people will lead in a procession down the aisle and they will kind of waft this scent over people. And it's to heighten your your awareness that God is here in our presence. That is one of the first things that his readers would have saw. His readers would have remembered the fragrances used to remind worshipers of the presence of the divine. Next, we see Paul also reminds his readers of the audacious parades of the dying and conquered to celebrate victory, in which smells and incense were used to spread triumph. The smell that Paul is invoking here, for memory's sake, is a completely different type. It's not a sacrificial one. It is not one in a temple. In fact, it was one that people came to see but dreaded. When Paul says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him, Paul is talking talking about a type of celebration and culturally joyous occasion in which invoked excitement in towns and cities. Like the smell of grease and sugar might remind you of an amusement park and cotton candy, Paul talks about smells that would have invoked this idea of triumphal processions. It was common in these days that when something was to be celebrated like a king winning a battle or conquering a rebellious people or taking over new territory, that the king and the, and the leaders of the government and the army would grab victims from wherever they conquered and lead them as kind of this slave chain through the city. And they would kind of uh, let people throw food at them. They were usually stripped naked. It was just as very embarrassing, we are victorious these people are not, and we're kind of sticking, it was a way of just saying, like, we are so much better. And so the kings would come through with these long chains of people that were conquered. And it was usually women and children or soldiers of the other side that were mostly dead. And they would celebrate the victory by parading these people. It was very audacious to do. And they would run them through the streets. And so people would hear these sounds of chains and the chanting, and they would rush out into the street. Now, interesting enough, the streets were not even wide. You know, this alley between Tim and Dottie's house and their neighbors would have looked very wide to them. The streets in Antioch alone had 137 homes on one acre of land. So streets were, in fact, they joked that you could have stuck your head out of your window and stuck it into your neighbor's window. That's not privacy, right? In fact, even though some of the bigger cities in Rome would have had public bathhouses, most people just used these bedpans and kind of dumped them out. And so uh, you did not like to hang out in the streets if you didn't have to because you might get hit with some flying aroma. And so um, when these sounds came people would rush into the streets, and they would rush to see what is happening. Who who won? What has won? What what did we conquer? What are we celebrating? And so people would squeeze into these tight alleys, and only a few people would actually be able to see because there weren't stages. It was just kind of this parade that happened. And so the kings, to make sure that victory was spread, would also burn incense. They would have similar incense and fragrance that— they would use so that even if I'm way back here and the parade is way up there and I visually can't see it, uh, I would be able to smell the smell of victory. And so they would burn these huge things as they would go around to spread the smell of victory. And that's what Paul is talking about here. When he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives, as slaves, in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him. Even when people can't see us, they can smell us. That invoked excitement in towns and cities. You would find the aroma of these parades that reminded them of victory mixing with the sense of sweat and blood and people who could not see would still experience the victory as these smells would waft through the alleys. In this passage, we see that Paul's aha moment is this. Identity in Christ is either like the smell of incense-laced sacrifice or the worshipful aroma reminding all that God is present. The smell is, you smell like a sacrifice or you smell like one of those processions of sacrifices down the street, or you smell like that stuff we burn to remind that God is really here in our midst. That is the aroma of life. I love this reality. As Paul's in the midst of experience this high sense of experience in ministry, he's realizing that he must be smelling really good because people are really desiring the gospel message in which he's bringing. That's his aha moment. I got here, and things are really exciting. I'm sad I couldn't find Titus, but for some reason, ministry is just happening. That's his aha moment. In this passage, we see, uh, folks, we see that when we sacrificially invest ourselves in the identity of Christ, we spread the gospel to our neighbors, whether they see us, see, quotations, it or not. Whether they're really up front for the processional, or if they are stuck back here watching us from a distance, the way we live out our identity of Christ, we spread the gospel to our neighbors, whether they see it or not. It wafts down the alley of our neighborhoods, through the connections of our spheres of influence, as Christ puts on his own processional parade of victory to declare that he is king. The question for us today is, do we smell anything like Jesus when people pick up what we're wafting? Do the people who don't see us up close see that it's Jesus that's wafting off us down the alley? So lastly, when we invest our identity in the presence of God, our lives are a fragrance of victorious confidence and hope. The aroma is an embracing love And a powerful gospel which means joy and peace, even in a parade of trouble. Those parades, those processional triumphs were not anything beautiful. And it's interesting that Paul twists it to make it something beautiful. He says, we're like those people that are slaves in chains and you get to throw food at and are nakedly being paraded with a bunch of smells down the street. That is what Christ does to us doesn't feel so hopeful, does it? Paul is making the connection of this aroma to him spreading the gospel message. When we invest our identity in the presence of God, our lives are a fragrance of victorious confidence and hope. The aroma is an embracing love and a powerful gospel, which means joy and peace, even in a parade of trouble. So the question I leave you today with is, what does your identity smell like? What is shaping it? Are you holding a balance of what you've had to sacrifice and what you worship? Does it smell like one more than the other? Do you smell victorious or do you smell like defeat? East Petersburg Mennonite Church to our neighbors, do we smell victorious <coughs> Excuse me, or do we smell like defeat? This idea of aromas is not only found here. In fact, in Philippians, Paul pushes it out again, and he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephradius yes, of the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. <coughs> Pleasing to God. Between Sunday school Yesterday and today, I think I'm losing my voice. In Genesis eight twenty-one, the Lord smelled, this is what I'm reading from, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, so God is saying in his own heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice of his people and said, I will never do that again. Our lives matter. Our smell of our lives matter. Do we smell like defeat or do we smell like victory? In closing, I want to tell this final story. This week, there was a story to hit ESPN about Philly's um, prospect pitcher, Matt Imoff. He was a hopeful guy for our league. We had hoped that he would make it to the major leagues and bring back the years of good pitching to Philly, which were very few in the long history of time. He could have been the next Kurt Schilling or the Cliff Lee. In fact, every scout was watching him with great expectation. He sustained a traumatic injury to his right eye in a training accident in June of last year. The 23-year-old, he's only 23, he's not old, details its moment in a recent ESPN interview. He understands what it means to have his identity defeated, reshaped, and redefined. He realized his story could have easily made him smell like defeat. I want to quote him for a little bit from an ESPN interview. It was my normal post-game routine to use exercise bands after I pitched. They were already hooked into the wall when I walked into the athletic training room. So I grabbed them and I started my workout. I was facing the wall, about 25 feet away from it, With a band in each hand. I pulled them back hard above my head so that my right hand was above my right ear and my left hand above my left ear. And as I got to the top of my motion, I felt the tension break. It was a surreal moment. The moment you realize you're screwed and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. I saw a flash of silver.